Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. And welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We're here in Washington, D.C. on the 106th day of January. Uh, it's about 47 degrees outside, so I've just determined that January has never ended. This is it. We don't get to take credit for any other months. We're going to have, I think, um, you know, two, uh, two seasons here in Washington like they do in Maine. We're going to have, you know, January and July, and I think that's going to be it. So we'll see. Uh, one of these days, it's got to get above 45. You're so great to join us again this week on the Farcrest. We, we've got a terrific program for you. We've got our wonderful three segments lined up. We've got our main man, Kenny Polcari, rocking. He's been out rocking the world. Well, he's coming back to rock the Farcast for us tonight, and we have missed him dearly, as everybody knows. I've gotten the cards. I've gotten the letters. I've gotten the emails. I've gotten the texts. Get Kenny back. Okay, we got Kenny back. Uh, please quit writing me those things. Um, remember that on the Farcast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And now more than ever, we believe that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If you're feeling ebullient, if you're feeling scared, if you're feeling worried, don't make an investment decision Nine times out of ten, it'll be the wrong one when you're leading with your heart instead of with your head when it comes to your wallet. I, I don't know how to get pithier than that. That's why I got the big money, folks. Stock market. Great day on the stock market. Up 213 points, 24,786 on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's up about uh, nine-tenths of a percent. S&P 500 was up over a point, one percent. And... The Nasdaq was up one and three quarter percent. And when you see that, you know that those risk stocks, the FANG stocks, are probably doing pretty well. We're going to check in with Kenny here in a minute. Before we do that, uh, on the forecast tonight, we've got Tom Heath from the Washington Post. You want to talk about my best forecast so far? He's been there for every one of them. Uh, and we're going to be talking about investors, what a personal investor should be doing. He had a brilliant article over the weekend about what's happening with cash, how it's being redeployed. We're going to ask him about it tonight and what investors should be making of all of that. And then uh, Andy Kaiser uh, is with us tonight. Now, uh, this guy was um, uh, w was on Capitol Hill for a long time, uh, but he was uh, part of the Trump transition team as uh, national security advisor uh, through that, and um, he's uh, uh, very close with Mike Pompeo. We've got real insights for you, real Washington scoop. Now, from the hallowed halls of the New York Stock Exchange, my very dear friend, the famous Kenny Polcari, who has been on the New York Stock Exchange since God was little, uh, Kenny is uh, bright, he's handsome, he's insightful, and indeed, he is much older than I am. Welcome, Kenny. Glad you're back on the Farcast, pal. Thank you, Michael. How are you? How's everything? Uh, uh, fabulous. And for another week, I'm still younger than you are. Just That's a right. week. And one week, and so in one more week, you and I will be the same age. Again, we, Kenny and I have one month <laughs> where he is, in fact, a year older than I am. Uh, and I never let him forget. I love it. It's just fabulous. Hey, Kenny, good day in the markets, buddy. It's, 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 it's bull markets here to stay. What's going on? It was another good day in the market, you know, and you could feel it from the minute you walked in. Like yesterday, futures were up fairly strong, up 13 or 14 points at, you know, 6 a.m. this morning, and then they, they continued to go higher from there. And, and I think what's very interesting, and it makes sense, 
is that uh, you know investors and traders are really starting to focus on what matters, right? So they're, they're focusing on the macro data, so the data points as well as the micro data, which are individual company earnings. They're ignoring at the moment all the noise out of D.C., whether it's the geopolitical stuff, whether it's the missiles in Syria, whether it's uh, North Korea and South Korea, whether it's you know who's sleeping with who in the White House, whatever. They're ignoring all that all that noise, and they're focusing on uh, the data. And then and on wait, the hang on, hang on. Don't you think, to... Kenny? Don't you think that the stocks overnight started to rally based on the president's uh, 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 statement that we were going to just maybe back off of Russia a little bit and not get into a full blown uh, you know that contest that, with that those? That clearly folks? could be some of it, but the but the bulk of it, honestly, the bulk of it is absolutely what's going on uh, with earnings. And last night after the bell, you had Netflix come out, and you know, listen, it was very interesting. Netflix all day long yesterday, they were toying with the back of what they sold it off, sold it off, and they closed it lower at the end of the day. And the minute the earnings came out after the bell, they took that stock up five and a half percent in the in the after hours trading, and that just set the tone. Now, listen, if he then comes out and talks about he's going to back off of Russia, that is positive. But I don't, I'm not crediting the move in the market, uh, whether global markets or well, U.S. So, markets. So what with, I think with that alone at all? Look, okay, but Kenny, what I mean, my my description is, you know, that the the fundamentals are strong. There's no question that we're getting strong fundamentals, good reports in. But we're getting, uh, I guess, the markets are getting wafted around still out of the news out of the White House and Syria yeah. and Russia or Mueller or whoever's driving yeah. the train today, right? Right. Uh, but the fundamentals, your point to your point, are strong. But, and uh, Netflix added like two million more users, right? In, they in the, added seven point four million users, of which five point six of them came from the international community, um, and so and two point something were were U.S. Were US. subscribers, right? Yeah. It was just a phenomenal, pheno- another phenomenal performance by uh, by Netflix. But listen, that kind of created that excitement right after the bell last night, and it and it permeated overnight in Asia. They started concentrating mo- much more on the data, on the earnings, on the macro data. The same thing happened in Europe. Everyone, the tensions eased. Everybody backed off a little bit, and they started to concentrate on the micro. The other thing. Was technically, you know, the market certainly here. Our market on the S and P we'll talk about because it's a broader index um, had rallied right back up to two levels of resistance. Right, the 50-day, which was which had crossed lower over the 100-day, that was at the 25.86 level, just about where we closed on Monday night. We closed it, I think, at 25.77. Right. What does that mean when the 50-day crosses over the 100-day? What does that mean? Well, so in this so in this case, the 50-day. 50-day right, what? Real, I'm sorry. I mean, 50 day what? Okay, so there are three there are three real technical uh, technical levels, right? There's a 50 day moving average, a 100 day moving average, and a 200 day moving average. And, and, so, and so this is the these, longer, these are just sort chart. of a smoothing out of where the market's been, and you draw a chart with this stuff. Uh, Correct, and, where, and, right? Where the market's been, you can you can so, get those averages on individual names. You can get them on the, on on the different indexes. So right? kind of an average, a smoothed average over the. I'm just trying to explain it for listeners. Smooth average over the past that, 50 days, 100 days would be a and 200 and 200 days. days. So, so a 200 day really would be a more significant kind of a indicator and, and that's the long-term average that's that number because it has more data about. right that was the number we kept talking about in the volatility scene back in february where we tested it two or three times and it held yeah right which yep. is a good sign good sign. so in this case the market had been so volatile in the month of uh, uh february and early march is that the 50-day which was always above the 100-day started to turn lower while the 100-day was flattening out and in fact uh, last week the 50-day crosses through the 100-day on on the downside, which is not typically a positive sign. Right, right, right because it that means the short-term stress moving down so with what, a little more momentum, right? Right, and so yeah. what we saw, we saw the market continue to be volatile, right? And so we saw 
saw those moves in the market. But then what happened as the earnings started, and it really started last week when J.P. Morgan, you know, when they all started the banks, you could see that the market was the tone in the market was a little bit better, even though they've punished the banks. Yeah, why uh, is the that? Bank, These bank earnings have been fabulous. Why are they well, the, why are they beating up on my well, favorite banks here? You know, the bank earnings have been fabulous. You're right, but but the earnings are history, right? It's what was. So now investors are focused on what is, what's the future look like. And so there was some softness, some weakness, maybe some concern going a little bit forward out of some of the banks uh, in terms of loan growth. J.P. Morgan, it was loan growth. And look, you and I have talked about this before as well. The yield curve is flattening. That's typically not very helpful to the financials as well. I think now we're just about 43 basis points apart between the two and 10-year. That keeps shrinking. And, and you know, we've had this conversation. What does but that I think, mean, a flattening yield okay, curve? Okay, but isn't it more important, at least for the financials right now, that the yields are moving up? I mean, they've got a margin now that they never had before. I talked to some folks at Fidelity. They're like, we're earning money off of money market once again. I mean, they've got real numbers there. It's amazing. That is true. That is true. And so, therefore, it's a little bit of a conflict, right? Because because on the one hand, that's true. But on the other hand, if you talk about the economy and if you talk about if the yield curve starts to invert, then you talk about a recession, potential recession, potential slowdown. And so, therefore, you have all those concerns, once again, which come up to the surface. And certainly, even though they, they, uh, they reported, they've reported really great numbers, um, they and just, and the know. point there, too, by the way, is that that yield curve inversion, what does that mean? That means that when short-term interest rates go higher than long-term interest rates, and I have said to listeners of the forecast for some time, of course, Kenny, you and I have both told them that we what we're looking for, the canary in the coal mine, is that difference between the yield on the two-year Treasury and 10-year Treasury. Historically, back, you know, over Kenny, because Kenny and I are old, when you look over our careers— those that is averaged about two full percentage points. So if you saw a two year at two percent, you'd see a ten year at four percent. Well, right now it's point four three of one percent. It's like you know uh, you got a two eighty and maybe a, so a two forty on the ten, uh, two year and a two eighty on the. 283 on the 10 year. That's really small. If that two year goes above the 10 year, we got trouble right here in River City. Well, what it tells you is, you know, if you're somebody with money and you're going to loan it to the government, are you going to loan it for two years at 2.4%? Are you going to loan it for 10 years at 2.8%? And so that's really right. Typically, it would be 2.4 and 4.4. So people would lend money for 10 years at a, at a much higher rate, right? Right. Now, it's, it's, it's shrinking. And the last time I think you and I spoke, I think we were 55 or 60 basis points apart. Now we're 43 three basis points apart so it's it's shrinking even more it's going the wrong the, way and right, by the okay the but the, the other thing we have to tell our listeners is you know the government just doesn't set the rate it's not like a cd rate buy it or take it or leave it right you get to you th this is an auction rate so it's however many buyers if they're not people there who are willing to buy these things the yields go up until somebody buys them all so That's there right. are people standing there to buy them at 283 i mean there there's appetite there which is which is a little bit weird isn't it there, well, there is a little bit weird, and so I think that's a concern because if it continues to if it continues to uh, invert, then typically that's always sign. There's plenty of research on it too. You know, that's always kind of a precursor, like you said, the canary in the coal mine of maybe a slowdown in the economy or a potential recession. And so I think that's kind of what's bugging some of these financials lately. Look, today Goldman reported another one: beautiful numbers, great trading numbers because we had all that volatility in the month of February and March. Great for trading firms like Goldman and J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, and, and so. 
and we've seen that. But in Goldman's case today, what they what they didn't mention because they're always they're right, always right. out in front, patting themselves on the back, telling everyone how they're number one in all these in the different in the different areas of the business. In their you know how good can business. they be without Polcari? None of these <laughs> firms, none of these Wall Street, they're, they're all you know they're all running with one leg you know tied behind them because they don't have Polcari. But tell well, me, but tell me what they didn't want you to see today. Business, their the, advisory business, they didn't even mention it. And that's usually the one that they're touting is, look yes. at us, we're number one, we're number one. And so that spooked the market. And they sent that stock down full bucks today, one in almost 1.7% on the back of on the back of that news. Even though their earnings were great, uh, the future, what 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 they're you know what the future. What they what they said about their future is a little bit concerning. So I got to tell you, Kenny. You know, we're we're running out of time here. I can't believe we're doing it. But uh, you know, the thing that I I, I I would be very uncomfortable betting against the banks here. Uh, you know, in I a rising rate environment. Well. No, I mean their numbers are coming in strong. This is yep. a good operating environment for them. Uh, I, I wouldn't bet against them at all. No, but these are not big institutions that are unloading. These are much more the trader types that are that are, that are having their way with it. The institutions, quite honestly, the big, long-only, vanilla, plain vanilla kind of mutual fund guys, this is an opportunity for them. So they're scooping up the banks. I would not be betting against the banks at any stretch at this point. Is the market safe? Are we going into correction? I mean, we're, I mean we've kind of been through a correction. Is it going to stay in correction? Are we going uh, to bear market? Or are we going to be okay? Now, because what I started to say was we broke through the last resistance yes. point at 26.99 this morning. Yes. We closed well above it now at 27.06. So that now becomes support versus resistance. There's nothing above us. If you draw the trend line, we should run to 27.40 before we really hit any 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 kind of technical resistance. So I'm not worried about the market selling off unless, of course, we get hit with something nobody expects. It, it, could, right, be, right, right. it, could, it could be a geopolitical thing, but it'll cause a short-term blip in the market. Okay, I, but I based on the, the experience of the markets, right, and based on the technicals and what you've seen today, the uh, don't start packing your bags yet. The punch no. Bowl is still full. The band is still playing. We got some more time to run here to the upside is what we're hearing from Kenny Polcari. Yes, we do. Okay, this is why you have to listen to the forecast, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to what Kenny says when he comes on. We're still going on here. You don't need to run for the hills yet, according to Kenny's experience. Um, Kenny, any final words for what we're thinking about for the rest of the week here? We got to go. Well, no, I just think, you know, I think the earnings are going to continue coming good, and I and don't be surprised to just see the market kind of trend higher. I think it's all good at the moment. I love it. We think you're all good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for for this uh, and being with us. We're going to be right back with my friend Tom Heath on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. This portion of the Farcast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farm Miller in Washington, we believe money is hard to make. and We're going to work hard to keep it working for you. You're listening to Forecast. Welcome back. To the Farcast. I'm Michael Farr. We're here with you today in chilly April in Washington, D.C. What a fabulous song that is, Boris. Uh, tell me what song you have for us this week. This is a wonderful song. And apologies, uh, my voice is not what it normally is. I was out with my father, the Cossack, who You've is in town. You haven't been in Syria or anything, have you? Or are they not in parts a, of Russia that... Okay, not that I can tell because, you about, no. You know, okay. Not, not that, that you, you know can, about, anyways. Not that I know about. This correct. song is uh, is old hit uh, from 1960s called Midnight Train to Tbilisi. 
Midnight Train <laughs> yes. to Tbilisi. Yes, I think. Well, it's fab. Is it popular in Russia now? Oh, very popular. Very yes. popular. Yes. Well, that's 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 fab. The young people like it. Young, old, young, everybody. Old, do they have a choice? No, they really don't. No, they really this don't. is the song that's playing. Ever perfect. Thank you, Boris. Remember that Boris's greatest hits uh, will be out on KTEL from KTEL here in the next couple of months. We're going to be uh, auctioning them off for big money at the market. Tom Heath uh, is a uh, senior columnist from the Washington Post. He writes the personal finance column. He's written for a long time. If you really want to know what's going on in money in Washington, you just have to read Heath. And by the way, he had an outstanding article uh, uh, over the weekend in the Sunday paper, I, I it, it was so good. I, I, all did you I thought, read all the way to the end? I did read all the way to the end. I don't believe you. I did. <laughs> what, I, the, what was the ending? I got it right here in front of me. Love Tom. That's what it's. No, it was my email love, address. Love Tom it is what a, I think senior it's senior. Don't call me senior. Call me just a columnist because senior makes me feel old. It does. Been, well, you, well you, you kind of stretched out the long. He's been there a long, long time. time. Well, I've uh, been that long. 30 how, years. 30 years. Yeah. That's a long I've I've been in this business for 30 years, but you've been at one job for 30 years. No, I was sports business, but yeah, I've been at the Post 30 years. Yeah, see? Okay. Okay. That's a Yeah. Uh, I'm a man of Well, he's just a regular column day spring my spring chicken friend Tommy. Now look, uh we uh so far has this theory, Tom, and 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 I love this column because I like it's when you talk to your, about yourself in the third person. Don't you? Uh, I got Far has this theory. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Well, this is the forecast. I, I know, I, I know. You know. I like uh, it. Uh, and I, What's you know, I, I, you know, of all the things at which I excel, I, I really would uh, count humility uh, among my best virtues. <laughs> uh, that's that's what I'm going with now. Okay, so uh, Farr's theory is that this market over the past eight years has really rallied and really grown uh, and feasted at the. Uh, trough of low interest rates. I mean, whether it was the Fed or whether it was debt spending, yeah. but there have been cheap interest rates and lots and lots of cash, yeah. right? Lots of cash. So uh, corporations were able to borrow cash. And in fact, they doubled, a lot of S&P 500 companies doubled the cash that's on right. their balance sheets, yeah. uh, doubled the debt. That's, and they took that right. cash for what you wrote about, stock buybacks. And they didn't create, they had dividends, extra dividends, but they didn't create more jobs and they didn't invest in capital equipment. And so now when we have this big tax cut and we say, oh, we're going to give everybody more cash, now they're going to create, why would we expect them to do anything differently than they've done the last eight years now that they've got more cash? Well, you know, they're looking for places to invest and there aren't many. No, they're so not. They, and they got tons of cash. They got what? Two trillion, nearly two trillion bucks sitting on their in their treasuries, on their balance sheets, whatever. So they've got a ton of money to invest. You give, you can pay some dividends. People like dividends. I like dividends. Yeah, yeah. But they're buying back their stock because, you know, it's a way to give back shareholders money. There's no tax penalty. Uh, everybody's happy. People like it. Drives the stock up. It makes the earnings per share grow without doing anything. You don't have to build a factory. You don't have to hire more people. You don't have to build something so, new. So, so, you don't so, have so to tell, do tell us, you know, uh, Fred and Ethel are devoted listeners to this uh, to this program, Tom. So, if if we have a 100 shares of stock out, okay? We yeah. our, our company has 100 yeah. shares of stock out in the hands of the public. Yeah. We earn a dollar a share. Yeah. Uh, our, st our our stocks uh, trading at $10 a share, so we're 10 times earnings. What happens if we buy back I don't know. Make the math easy for me. Just okay. do 10%. 10, 10 shares. Uh, Let's say so I buy you, back 10 shares. Well, you tell me. You, you got 100 shares. shares. Yep. Now you got 90. You got now the I've same got buck out, out there. So the buck is 
uh, divided. Now I got a dollar ten in earnings. Exactly. Right? You got it divided by uh, 90, ninety shares instead of a hundred shares. It's like a pizza. You got eight slices. You reduce it to six. You're, the pizza's the same size. I'm not making but, any more but money. You're get, but you're, get, you're not making any I'm more. I'm not money. selling any more pizzas. But the, shares, but the shares are worth more. The shares are worth more because yeah, there are fewer there's of them fewer earning of them the same amount of money, and, and that's why it. stock buybacks are really cool. Exactly. But they they don't have money on their balance sheets just because they borrowed. Uh, Michael, they have it because they are making a lot more money. The profits are way up. They're making more stuff offshore. The economy's good. People have more money. Well, it's both, isn't and, it? And, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. Technology. They've they've uh, they've reduced the number of uh, employees. They've cut back. So it's it's you know halcyon days for for the big companies. So, they're all loaded. So they are all loaded. okay. So cash. they are all they're loaded, getting but, richer today, as okay. you can see. The earnings are flooding in, and 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 that's helping from the tax cut. But look. Unemployment's 4.1%, right? Full employment. 4.2. So we're full employment. So what is this great push out there that we have to create jobs? Why yeah. do we have to create more jobs? I mean, we don't have anybody to work at those jobs. If we don't have any unemployment, where, where the hell are we getting if workers you, to If do you it? create a demand for more jobs, if there's more demand for labor, it's going to drive up the value of those who are working. Simply put, it's going to drive their wages up. The middle class finally gets something. So the the middle class haven't seen wage gains since 1998, 1999. if you have fewer workers, you're going to pay the guy so he doesn't go down the street and go to the other company. You're going to pay people when they get out of college for a a better wage. It will drive up wages. That's the whole feeling behind this. That's the theory. Boris, Harry, don't listen to him. It's... You know, there's not enough. There's not enough uh, employees to fill the jobs. You like it's that's pretty advantageous. So this is just supply and demand. Just supply and demand. There's not a lot of supply of of labor. I've got to pay more for it. So we're going to see wages start to go up here. We've already started. They're starting to. They're starting. They're starting to go up a little bit. Yes. Okay. So they already have. Here's 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 another. That's the big payoff on this. That's the big payoff that the Republicans. Why is that a payoff? Why is that a good thing? Because you're middle class. You want people to have more money to buy more stuff. Everybody's happy. In an economy that's driven two-thirds by. Boris really struggles, doesn't he? I I, I worry. (laughs) You know. Boris struggles. Uh, we, listen, I pay him a dollar fifty nine to show up for each and every <laughs> show, whether he needs it or not. And and um, President Putin said that that was the rate. I'm yeah, not well, allowed to pay gotta, him anymore. You're going to up that because there's going to be demand for Boris's. There's you think be so? Greater demand so, he might Okay, leave. but in an economy that's two thirds driven by the consumer. Now, just think about this with us, ladies and gentlemen. In an economy that's driven two thirds by the consumer, the consumer has to have the ability and power, uh, gunpowder, to consume. They've got to have the fuel. They haven't had more wage gains since 1998. So now what Tom Heath is telling you is that they're going to start to see more wage gains. And that can be inflationary because that's right, Tom, because it's often Everybody wants on. a little bit of inflation. Inflation would be – it's better than deflation. This you is want good. a little bit of inflation. It's going to create ha- – and it's putting more money and more hands in the economy, right? Exactly. This yeah. is a huge I mean, I'm point. not an economist, but, uh, you know, but I you follow this stuff. I watch TV. you on CNBC, yes. so I learn a lot. Oh, everybody, and, uh, yeah. And so, yes, you want you a little see inflation. Me at 6.30 this morning? I saw morning you this morning talking the... about the order of Cincinnati. What is that? The fan club yeah. for the Reds? What is that? That was the – I don't know what that. I talked about this morning. You're listening to society. Order of Cincinnati. What Look, the heck? There's, well, I'm that is there. not for the middle class. I, I don't know what show that is. I am in the Capitol Dome, the Capitol Dome of the United States of America. I am sitting on TV for live TV, 
coast to coast underneath a painting of George Washington. And Joe Kernan says, is your Washington guy related to that Washington guy? And I said, yes, he is. In fact, he represents him in the Society of the Cincinnati, which means you have to be a, the most direct male descendant who exists. And where's their headquarters? Do you know where that is? Here's a trivia question. Do you know uh, where yeah, it's on uh, Massachusetts Avenue. Bingo! You are correct, Mundo, Thank sir. You very very much. I walk by it every day on the way home. It is beautiful. Have you ever been in there? I have. It is. Fabulous. I was there for what a reception. Anderson one. House it's is really that what cool. it's called? I don't know. I think it's, it's Anderson. Just the House. Order of Cincinnati. Yeah, the Society of the Order of Cincinnati. It's it's. Uh, uh, then you talk about your golf game down in uh, Naples. I saw. You know, I. All your, you know, I you, also talked about investors that, and what's going on in stocks in the economy. Uh, well, they gave that me a lot a, of time. That was interesting. And Kernan doesn't care about that. He, he really does, wants he to loves know talking about sports golf. and stuff. Anything. No, just golf. He only golf. Yeah, it was very. I had to play golf with him on television. They CNBC did this thing called Lessons from the Pros. They run a uh, microphone wire up my back. They've got two cameras, one crouching down in front of me, one crouching behind me. They say, okay, get ready. I'm getting ready to tee off, right? I've got two cameras. I got the wire up my back. You're with Kernan? Kernan. On, on a golf course? Yes. Uh, it, it was it, this in New Jersey uh, because we're doing Lessons from the Pros. That's what it was. And I was giving, we were doing a comparison between what you have to do to play a successful you golf game. you get paid for this? Of course I get paid for this. And and so I'm ready to tee off, and the guy standing behind me goes, wait. I'm like, wait, wait. And he moves about a foot, lowers his camera angle. He says, okay, now hit it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to happen. Is Kernan Perfect. any good at golf? Uh, Kernan's about, uh, Kernan and I are pretty even. Kernan's about a 12 handicap. Uh, plays at Baldur's Roll. So, uh, yeah, he's got a, he's, he's got a decent playable, playable game. Uh, Dominic Chu. Actually, he's about a two handicap. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, guy. Yeah, he's strong. Okay. Uh, he's very bright. He's a hell of a nice guy. Just had a new baby. Okay. Uh, so, Tom, we've got these good things, I guess, going on, uh, sort of. In, good in, things. The markets, the, of course it's going. Did I miss something? Paul Curry was on here saying how great everything is. Yes, we have a lot of good things going on, except you, the weather. And, and, and you feel it, too. So tell me, as you're talking to investors, what you know, people have been scared this year, Tom. They've they've gotten really nervous. They get nervous when they see these uh, headlines about you know maybe there's going to be a Saturday night massacre. Uh, uh, you know, at the Justice Department, and Sessions is going to get fired. Mueller's no, going to get no. fired, and we're going to have a constitutional crisis. It's immune. It's all the it's all the basics. It's all the fundamentals, the market fundamentals. I interview you about this stuff. Have we met? Uh, I mean, I, I ask you about this stuff. Yeah, but and now you you're say, on my show. You, you and, have to. And I've interviewed all these other the guys, wisdom. and they say. Uh, of the market fundamentals are great. It's all earnings. Everything's honky dory. Unless, like Polkari was saying earlier, unless there's some bolt of the, out of the blue and North Korea blows up or anything, Trump, you know, it seems it's immune to Mueller. It seems his, it's immune to most of his tweets. The market is is adjusted to that. I mean, other than an invasion or other than even secu- uh, Syria with the missiles flying over, the market barely sneezed. Market I mean, did barely. I sneeze. mean, something will eventually, as you know. It was what 105 for, missiles or something? Something like that. Yeah, and and, and, and they the didn't Brits shoot and one the, up and down. the French were in there. Uh, were our allies in that one? So I just don't. I, I can't see any. I wake up in the morning and say, okay, this is this is going to be a, a hellish day because you know Trump said this or this is what's going on overseas, and I'll go in ready to write a market story and call up the gang and nothing. You know, it still goes up. And it still goes up. Yeah, but it's pretty so, volatile. I mean, it's been volatile. When he when he goes on and talks about trade and things that will uh, directly affect the market, that's when things will happen. But the people, the analysts, 
and the investors are looking at things that are going to directly affect the market. What, you know, is trade going to be bad? They're not looking at exogenous stuff unless it's really dangerous. Okay. How's the, how do you like that word, exogenous? I like that. It's a big word. Uh, you must have been writing for yeah, a long I wrote, time. I, I, I uh, so, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to listen to Tom Heath, because that was a really important point. You know, we can get through things like Syria, things that are within reasonable expectations. Pay attention to the economic talk. Pay attention to the trade wars. Pay attention to things that could upset things. But otherwise, we're getting through all of this stuff in, in a pretty positive way. I'm not even going to say benign. I'm going to say, Tom Heath, thank you so much for Thanks, joining Mike. us again Thanks, on the forecast. This is terrific. Money Mike. I like it. Uh, mighty gonna, Mike. Mighty, mighty, I, mighty my, Mike. I've got a nephew like who calls me Mike. Uncle Money. He couldn't He couldn't say Uncle Michael, so my anyway, well, had him call me Uncle Mr. Money. Money. All right. Uh, we're going to be right back on the forecast with the great Andy Kaiser. Wait till you hear this guy. You're listening to Forecast. This portion of the forecast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farmiller in Washington, we believe money is hard to make. and We're going to work hard to keep it working for you. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We're here in Washington, D.C. once again with another uh, edition of the Farcast. What a terrific show we're having now. What? Hey, that's terrific music you're playing for us, Boris. What are you playing for us there, buddy? This is a special song. It was on uh, played in, uh, on NPR this morning. NPR? This was on NPR? Well, yes. What but is it, N- National Public Radio? No, no. This no. is National Putin Radio. National Putin <laughs> right. Radio. And, and, and Vlad likes to host a show Vlad? from time to time. Yes. I Well, if you know him, you can call him by first name. I see. Does he Does he do a podcast? Well, he, he does He does a show. A show, yes. Yes. And... Um, Many people listen? Everyone listens. It's mandatory. Listens. Mandatory. <laughs> this song he dedicated to Don in D.C., and this is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So, <laughs> not sure what that means, but take it. Lawyers, you know. Guns, and and Money. All right. Uh, terrific. Thank you very much, Boris. I don't know where to go with that. Uh, welcome back to the Farcast. Uh, Kenny Polcari, Tom Heath, absolutely fabulous this evening. You listen to the Farcast and you learn every time. And now you're really going to learn because we're joined. I'm joined. Uh, I'm very honored to be joined by Andy Kaiser. Now, Andy Kaiser is the real deal in D.C. You don't get to talk to too many guys like Andy Kaiser. 14 years on Capitol Hill for uh, the uh, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers, former Chairman Mike Rogers. He was senior advisor uh, to the committee, chief of staff, legislative director, handling cybersecurity, energy, and the Commerce Committee issues. He was uh, deputy national security senior advisor for the pre-election phase of the uh, Trump for America transition team. So he'd been involved with the president and the president's team, and intelligence, and um, he went to uh, he went to Michigan State University, uh, where he got a bachelor's. He has a master's from the United States Naval War College. All right, he's uh, uh, he's been very active on a number of national security focused policy projects. Center for the study of the presidency and Congress, and um, he serves as senior advisor uh, at the National Security Institute for George Mason University's Antonin Scalia 
Law School, uh, where he's a visiting fellow, and he's also a principal of the Navigators Global and Government of uh, Navigators Global, which is a government affairs PR firm, which means he's a lobbyist. Okay, he, he is. But okay, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. On the in spite of being a lobbyist, we're very glad you're here. Honored to be with you, Michael. Sorry for the. There we go. Do it again. You still honored? <laughs> still honored to be with you, Michael. Uh, sorry for the long intro, though. Though I think Boris might be interested to know I have been to Tbilisi, actually. To Tbilisi. Wow. Boris, you've been to Tbilisi? No, many times. We will have to speak after the show. <laughs> I can direct you to some good uh, bars out there. Great wine. Yes. Absolutely. Terrific. Uh, you and Boris can discuss the old <laughs> Tbilisi times together. Uh, Andy, uh, I have so much to talk with you about. Uh, it's so cool that you're that you're here. Um, tell us, let, let's let's because uh, I w- w- you you also um, uh, are uh, rather close with uh, Mike Pompeo too, aren't you? That's right. Yeah, he, uh, he you know he's a, he was first in his class at West Point. He was a business guy back in Kansas, uh, editor of the Harvard Law Review. And so when we started, uh, when I was on the House Intelligence Committee and we were looking at uh, what types of new members to bring on, he certainly came to mind as someone with the... Uh, an underachiever, just yeah, another exactly. underachiever, this Mike Pompeo. It's funny, the, the Intelligence Committee is a, is a place where there are no cameras, our hearings are a lot shorter uh, because of that, and it requires the kind of people that show up and do reading on their own. Um, and we thought Pompeo would, would fit the bill there. Because he it, could read. That's right. You <laughs> so knew he it. had to read. He it. had that's to read. Like... He did the Harvard Review. Yeah. Okay, so t- t- okay, so let's go right there. What, tell us what sort of person he is. You know, he's a very... Uh, Why is he going to be a good Secretary of State? Well, he'll, that's a, a different question, I think. I think he'll be a good Secretary of State. I actually wrote a piece on this uh, in the Hill uh, newspaper that he, uh, first and foremost, has the confidence of the president. So unlike his uh, predecessor, uh, when he shows up in a foreign capital, they're going to know that he's speaking on behalf of the president of the United States. There's not a lot of okay. You got to help me with that because the president, you know, president invited uh, uh, Rex Tillerson to be Secretary of State. Uh, It sure looked like. I mean, if you're going to ask the guy to be Secretary of State, wouldn't you think that you'd have the confidence of the president? Why? Why did you have him there? And how did he lose the confidence, or did he ever have the confidence of the president? And why will uh, Mike Pompeo have it any better longevity with the president's confidence than anybody else has? Yeah, I think the 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 biggest problem Tillerson had was he just never meshed with the president, and there's a number of reasons for that. I think he liked the idea initially that here was a very successful business guy who ran a Fortune 5 uh, company. But conversely, as, as you guys know on a, on a business show here, when you're running a big, large organization like that, you typically tend to be a little more bureaucratic, a little less risk-averse, which is totally the opposite of this president's style. So I think you'll see Pompeo, um, not only are his policies a little more, more hawkish perhaps than Tillerson, but I think much more importantly is a style that is much more aggressive, much uh, more forward-leaning, and not kind of sitting back and, and hoping you know, things work out over time. Did, did, did you did was that your sense that Tillerson was sitting back hoping things worked out? 
My my sense was a, cu- a couple big mistakes that he made. Um, number one, he brought everything into a very small group. Uh, all decisions had to kind of come through him and a, and a couple of his deputies. And then probably what, what ended up getting him at the end was he didn't cultivate any outside allies. So as you guys know from living in Washington for a long time, uh, the darts are going to fly. It's only a matter of when. By a dog, yeah. And um, they started flying, and there was no one standing up taking a, taking a dart for can, Okay, but Rick can you – okay, because you really did this. You were part of the transition team. You've worked in the Trump organization – uh, a Trump organization so far. So can anyone actually be hawkish and, 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 and do their job, I guess, in a courageous way and not end up as half sycophant to the president? I mean, it, it, t- tell us how that works. It seems like if you step out of line, if you say anything that might be the slightest bit off, you're gone. Right. Well, that's what's been interesting about Pompeo's rise inside the Trump organization, I think, is he's he's been um, as outspoken as as you can be without ever kind of crossing any lines or getting into a, a negative situation with the president or the rest of his team. Not many have been able to do that. Um, I do think he was in a different environment at CIA where uh, you know, by the nature of the business, you just don't pop your head up very often. He's going to be at the State Department where the lights are as bright uh, as they get in the world. Uh, it's a little bit of a different role, and we'll have to see how he adjusts. You said that he was going to be cautious. I mean, I'm sorry, hawkish. What What do you expect to see uh, behaviorally from a hawkish Secretary of State, when you're a little more aggressive? How are we going to see that? I think you'll see it manifest itself in in the language used in the you know some of the policies that are pursued vis-a-vis North Korea and Iran. Tell, okay, um, let's do North Korea and Iran. Tell me what we're going to see differently from this uh, secretary uh, in terms of North Korea. What would you expect? You know, I think he'll he'll push. That's a little bit of an interesting situation because the president himself has taken over this responsibility, which leads into another conversation about, you know, is is there really a secretary of state or is the president just kind of handling it himself? Um, But does this or does Pompeo give the president the opportunity to back off and put it back in his hands a little bit? There might there might be some of that. I mean, I, I you know, you you saw repeatedly the president undercutting a Tillerson comment or statement directly. Um, clearly, he didn't like the language. He didn't like the style. Uh, you know, Pompeo has been able to, um, you know, uh, praise the president at the right time just enough, while certainly not sacrificing his principles. Um, and You're you know, making the president sound like a fairly fragile ego to praise him just enough so that you can stay relevant. Do people who work in the White House have to do that? Well, it it doesn't hurt, uh, as we've seen people who <laughs> who stay in. Um, you know, I I I'd encourage folks to take a look at Pompeo's uh, uh, opening statement at his Senate uh, hearing. He he did a very nice job of he sprinkled in a couple of uh, compliments. It definitely wasn't over the top, but those are in there. And then um, he kind of laid out to the committee who he is and how he'll approach the what job. What about Iran? How's he going to approach Iran? He's so his career has been uh, quite hawkish on Iran. He you know, I think he believes, as I do, that the nuclear deal was is just a, a stalling tactic for them to, uh, you know, develop other technologies like their missile technology that they'll 
uh, pocket any concessions, and then the minute the 10-year window is up, they'll go back to their nefarious deeds. Um, so Hill, he comes at it from the same approach that the president did, that it was deeply flawed, that it was a mistake, that we never should have done it in the first place, and you know that we, we ought to work with our allies to get them on board to squeeze Iran in every possible facet uh, of uh, around the world what they're doing. So he's not just going to talk tough. He's going to be tough with Iran. I think that's right. Tougher than Tillerson. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, the Obama administration, certainly they were they kept everything focused on the the nuclear negotiations and they turned a blind eye to a lot of other nefarious actions that the Iranians were, were doing. You know, a lot of people forget that uh, it was uncovered, the Iranians were going to try to kill the Saudi ambassador here in Washington in our nation's capital with no, uh, you know, no worry about what uh, kind of collateral damage, what kind of civilians were going to be killed. And we just kind of looked the other way. that they were going to assassinate the Saudi ambassador? Four years ago or so. Four years ago. That's yeah. incredible. Okay, uh, quickly, we're coming into our last minute here. Tell me about Russia. What are we doing with Russia with Russia, you know, I do think it's obviously it's a very complicated situation uh, from top to bottom. I, I think the president is trying to keep a line of communication open clearly. Um, but I try very hard to look at, I think, what your uh, previous guests talked about. Try to look at what the president's actions are, less about what his words are. And if you look at the actions on Russia, they're as strong as, as they've been. So we've had several rounds of sanctions. We've, we kicked out Kaspersky, the, the cyber, frankly, espionage uh, organization, uh, which hadn't been done before. We're squeezing them in Syria. We killed uh, a bunch of Russians in Syria who were uh, operating. We kicked out their intelligence officers. Is this, is this president really kind of going to restart the Cold War? Is he going to push Putin back into a very difficult economic box? I know I'm out of time, but you got to tell me. I don't think so. I do think he's gonna. He's not gonna take their actions lightly, and he's gonna push back wherever they're they're stepping out of line. I mean, Russia's in a really bad place where they're an aging civilization. Their economy is a mess. You get outside of Moscow, and it's essentially a third world country. And I don't see any uh, any you know any way they they get out of this. What's the point of spiral. our agenda, though? What are we trying to do? We're get them to behave. Keep them in a box. Keep them isolated. Um, you know they're they're gonna. It's in. It's part of their identity to push back against the West, particularly the United States. So they're gonna they're gonna keep doing that. But so we have to minimize those those impacts against our interests around the world and uh, keep them in their isolation uh, box uh, around the world. Isolate Russia, point. Andy Kaiser. You are the man. Thank you so much for coming on the Farcast. This is awesome. This is fascinating. We. I hope you will come back and join us again. You're Anytime. awesome. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, guys. Okay, we're at the end. We're out of time. Another Farcast is uh, is is getting into the books, ladies and gentlemen. Please remember that if you think you heard anything on the Farcast that sounded like a recommendation to buy or sell a, a, a security or a stock or a bond or anything like that, you didn't. We're not making recommendations to do anything like that. If you think you heard us make some sort of suggestion as to how you should change your portfolio, you didn't. But if you still want to, please check with your financial advisor, your financial professional, and get some real well-thought-considered advice. Or you could call us at Farr, Miller, and Washington. Uh, 
Farmmiller.com is the website, and uh, that's what we do. Everybody from uh, kind of a half a million dollars on up to well over $100 million, that's the sort of uh, clients we service at Farm Miller. We will be back with you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep the cards, letters, emails, tweets, everything else coming our way. We're loving you at the Farcast in Washington, D.C. I'm Michael Farr.